Well, good morning. As Chris said, my name is Matt. I'm the pastor for teaching and equipping here at Anthem. And I just want to say welcome back. Last week, I got to say welcome back to a few of our students who are back, but welcome back to the rest of the students. It's so good to see you. It's good to see your smiling faces. And, uh, uh, and I look forward to connecting with you, uh, hopefully today afterwards. And uh, this, uh, today, we're, we're right in the middle of a really kind of pivotal two weeks, uh, which uh, every fall, we spend a week on our mission as a church, and then a week on our vision as a church. So last Sunday, we looked at our mission as a church. And mission is just, what is the thing that we do day to day? What is it that we exist for? And we looked at that our mission is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus, to find life in Jesus Christ. And that's what we do day in and day out as a church. It's what we focus on. Well, today we're going to be looking at our vision. And a vision is, okay, we know what we do every day, but where are we going? Where are we headed? What's that, that picture of a preferable future where God is taking us, what he's calling us to, especially if you think about on the horizon about five to seven years out, where is God calling us? Now, you may be saying, why, why would we take time to look at our vision? Why would we take time to do it? Well, I, I love reading American history. And there's this interesting dynamic, this thread that I saw that as I would study history, that kind of came up again and again uh, in, in early America. And it was, it was this dynamic of what happened with cities and villages as they established themselves. And, and of course, there was this idea that eventually they would spread across the rest of the continent and spread westward. But something happened. A lot of those small villages that had that vision ended up not. This is what one, how one uh, history book describes the pattern. It says about 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Who needed to go there anyways? Here were people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome great hardships to get there. But in just a few years, they were not able to see even five miles out of town. They had lost their pioneering vision. I, I share that story because I believe over the next five years, we as a church are called. God has given us a vision to venture out into what we might call an uncharted wilderness. And in order to venture forth, in order to become the kind of church that doesn't just say, we're good, we'll stay in the village. We need clear vision from God. You see, one, one way of thinking about this is that the, the world often throughout church world, I guess you could say as we know it, uh, largely as the church sought to kind of like seek those who were, who were outside of the church and they had a vision for that, largely it was, it, it was kind of easy because that the world out there was not so different from the world in here. And, and so largely it was something that was just kind of like we had similar assumptions about just the way the world works, what truth is, and, and just how, how to think about biology, how to think about sex, how to think about the role of family and, and church and schools and, and whatnot in society, how it all works. There was just kind of a lot of assumptions about kind of the world out there and the church. But now, as the world is rapidly changing, you, one way of saying what it feels like in the world around us is it feels like the world feels like a wilderness. 
that those assumptions are no longer there. In some ways, ways we've described this as a church is that feels very restless in the world around us. Feels restless because there's confusion with no accepted truth. Frustration because there's no common meaning and purpose for humanity. There's no longer this kind of firm idea of what is right and wrong, of where everything is going, of how can we be reconciled, what do we do with our guilt, how do we exist as a society together, all of these things that used to be things that we just kind of had defaults, and you can kind of start there. All of these things over the last few years are starting to either fall away or they're starting to crack, and what's happening around us is everything feels chaotic, and it feels like a wilderness. And we find ourselves in that world. It's a restless kind of wilderness. So it would be easy not to go down that road. It would be easy as a church, as we think about the next five to seven years, just think about what it looks like just to make ourselves a nice, comfy village and stay here. It'd be easy just to plug our ears and avoid the restlessness. You know, as I was thinking about this, literally some of us moved, and, and this is the dynamic that I think we feel. Some of us who, who have been around Anthem since the beginning, we, you moved literally hundreds of miles to be a part of something that God was doing. He gave you vision for that, and you moved hundreds of miles, but now we can't even walk across the lawn to our neighbor. Because it feels like a wilderness. It feels like hard ground. If we're honest, it feels like hard ground. It feels like all that's out there is hard ground, hard, hard heads, hard hearts, hard soil, hard conversation in the world around us. And therefore, we need a vision that moves us outward, onward into the wilderness. Because here's the thing. We believe as a church God has called us to this time. We believe that God has placed us here at this time in this city. He's placed you on the campus. He's placed you in the cubicles, in the neighborhoods, wherever God has you. He has placed you there for a purpose, which is to make him known in the midst of the restlessness of the world around us. This is why our vision as a church for the next five to seven years is to see the restless find renewal in Jesus Christ. To see those who are restless, who don't know up from down, from those who are seeing refugees from the sexual revolution, of seeing those who have no hope, of those who have no meaning, of those who are lost in the midst of the darkness of our world, to see them find Christ and find life and find renewal and not just close our eyes, not just build up walls, but to go to see 1%, as we've said, in this city, what if just 1% of this city, 1,200 people over the next five years came to know, love, and obey Jesus Christ? What if in every department on our campus, at least one professor became a follower of Jesus Christ and was able to speak to students and lead them to Christ? What if throughout the city in every neighborhood there were gospel communities who were meeting and there was just this city on a hill in the midst of every neighborhood throughout the city where people were seeing life, where they were seeing families restored, where they were seeing people find life in Christ in the midst of despair, of seeing reconciliation, of seeing healing, 
And here's the really good news, because I know probably some of you are thinking that that sounds like wishful thinking, Pastor. That sounds like wishful thinking. But as we'll see today in Moses' encounter with the burning bush, today's restless wilderness is exactly where God throughout history has always showed up and loves to show up. And so today what I want to do is I want to motivate us to take a step into the wilderness. I want to motivate us to take a step into the restlessness, into the lives of those around us. Because this, this sounds nice, but at the end of the day, if we're not willing to take a step out of the safety of the village and into the restlessness of the world around us, then we will never see this happen. But God will give us a vision that motivates us to follow him. And so what we're going to look at first is the vision of visions that we need. The vision of visions that we need. The vision that comes before our vision as a church for the next five to seven years. The ultimate vision that God gives to Moses and he wants to give to us. But then second, why we avoid often the wilderness. Why we actually avoid the wilderness. And then third, and avoid the restless in our lives. Third, the necessary step for vision. The necessary step for vision. So let me pray and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you that... You are a God who, God who guides your people where they, they dare not tread. Lord, you are a God who does miraculous things. You are a God who does the impossible thing. You are a God who does the unthinkable. You are a God who goes before your people in a pillar of fire and you guide them. And so, Lord, we know that this is not a work that you call us to that is our work, but rather you are inviting us into your work of making all things new. And so, Lord, we have confidence as we encounter you today and the calling that you have upon us. Lord, give your people vision. Give us a vision of who you are and a vision of what you're calling us to. And, Lord, may we walk out of here, Lord, just passionate because we have you in our lives, your presence in our lives guiding us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the vision we need... Uh, here's the thing. Throughout Scripture, there's something I remember a few years ago. It hit me like a ton of bricks when I was reading through the Old Testament. In times whenever God's people needed vision, before he would give them a plan, he would give them a vision of his person. Before God ever gives his people a plan, he gives them and reveals to them his person. And you see this throughout Scripture. You see it first with Abraham in Genesis 12. You see it in Joshua as he entered the Promised Land in Joshua 5. You see it with Daniel and Ezekiel and when they were in exile with their famous prophetic visions. And you see it when Isaiah is in the temple. Remember in the temple, if you, if you know your Bible, Isaiah is in the temple and it's chaotic in the world around him. And Isaiah comes into the temple and he sees God on his throne in the midst of it. Over and over again before God gives his people a plan and he calls them to something, he calls them to venture into something before he gives them the plan, he gives them his person. And there's a really important reason why that is, because the whole point of scripture is not just, hey, I want, I want to make a people who will just do things for me because I'm incapable of doing things. No, the whole purpose of scripture is God wants us to find life in him. When we talk about helping the restless find renewal, it's because the whole point of life is to find renewal in God, to find life with God. That's why our mission is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus so they find life in Jesus. The whole purpose of our lives is to find life in God. And so what God does before he calls us out is he gives us a vision of himself. And this is nowhere clearer than with Moses in the burning bush. Nowhere clearer than with Moses in the burning bush. See, Moses was a man just like us. He was a man who needed vision. 
Moses was a man who was wandering in the wilderness. He was just going about his life. You look at verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. See, Moses was a man who actually had a very hard life. That's what the wilderness looked like for him. If you know the story of Moses, you can go back and read the first few chapters of Exodus. Moses is almost killed as a baby. And he's rescued and he's raised up, but then Moses was also, he had had a, this hard life. And then now he's on the run from, from murder because he had been defending one of his, his brothers, of, a fellow Israelite, and then he had been on the run forever as a murderer, and then he now was just, his days were filled with hard labor, just a blue-collar job, day in and day out. And if that wasn't enough, Moses knew that his people were actually enslaved to a very hard-hearted, hard-headed pharaoh. Moses was in a wilderness. All he knew was a hard life. And he lived on hard ground. And I think when I read that, one of the things that makes me think is, I think that makes... Moses is very relatable. Moses is a lot like most of us. Because a lot of us have hard lives. We're filled, they're filled with hard labor. They're filled with hard circumstances. Perhaps even we've just had hard faith experiences. And when we look around us, all we see are hard heads, hard hearts. And why would any of that change? So you can imagine if God had said to Moses, because Moses, God's about ready to call Moses to this legendary task. He's about ready to call Moses to go into those hard circumstances, to go into these impossible circumstances, and to do a work that would free a people, to make God known to them, that would rescue them. And in the midst of, you can imagine, if God had just said to Moses, in the midst of all of his hard circumstances, in the midst of all he had ever known, if he just said to him, hey, Moses, go do this, Moses would have said, you are absolutely crazy, right? Why would I venture off deeper into the wilderness? I, I've made a life out here in this area. This is nice. It's safe. I can just live my days here. But instead, God calls to me. He says, that would be crazy. And the same for us. If God were just to call us right now and say, hey, go to the neighbors that you know often will just reject you. Go to the classmates. Go out into the world and share who I am and speak about me. Tell them about me. Actually get into their lives so you can walk with them on this faith journey. You would say, God, you are absolutely crazy. Don't you see what hard ground is all around me. And that's why in the midst of it, what God does is something very important, which is he reveals to Moses something of who he is. He says, Moses, all you can see is that hard ground that's right in front of you, and you need a vision of who I am before I can even give you a vision of my plan and what I'm calling you to. And so in verses 3 through 5, or 2 through 5, it says this, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Some think, I, I wish I could just teach through every line in this. It's packed. I, I, there isn't time today to do that. But here, it might even be a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ and the angel of the Lord appearing in the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So the bush is on fire, but it's not consumed. It's not just burning and wilting away, but it's, it's burning while the bush is still there. It's not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, 
Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now what is God doing there? See, in the midst of a world that's filled with hard ground, hard circumstances, hard hearts, hard heads, Moses knows if he goes and he's going to try to accomplish anything, it's just going to be filled with even harder conversations and conflict. In the midst of this, what God does is he shows him, he says, listen, the thing that you need to know in the midst of what seems impossible, in the, same, in the midst of what seems like it isn't worth it, what isn't worth your time, what isn't worth your energy, what seems like it will just fail, in the midst of it, what you need to see first is you need to see something of who I am. And here's what it is, Moses. I am the one, when I show up, I turn hard ground into holy ground. When I show up, I bring transformation. When I show up, I cleanse and I redeem and I renew. And it's not because of anything ultimately that you can do, but it's because of what I do. And it's rooted in who I am. Because this is who I am. I bring into a world that seems like it is just in decay and there is no hope. And I bring my fire, my passion who I am, and I burn with a passion to see it renewed. Now, in the midst of it, Moses sees this, and he still, when he sees this, he's, he's like, I, I, I don't know if, God, will you really do this now? If you look down at verse 13, when Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name, and, and what shall I say to them? Moses is kind of hesitant here, right? Moses is going, what, 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 why would I really go to them? And here's the thing, because Moses thinks what God is doing is God's just kind of doing like a momentary, I don't know, like parlor trick, like a God trick. Like, hey, Moses, look what I can do. I can like consume a bush, but not really consume it. And he's like, wow. And he's like, all right, wasn't that cool? And he's like, that was a great religious experience. And he's like, all right, well, see you in 20 more years, right? Like, we, that's the thing we tend to think. Like, I saw God move once. I saw this event. And what we can do is we root all of our confidence in God and what he can do in our day just in some event that happened or some circumstances. And we go, well, he wouldn't do it again. But here's the thing. What God does now is he says, Moses, it's not the circumstances. It's not just some event. It's rooted in who I am. And so what he says to him next is vitally important because he says, it says, God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Why does God reveal this to him? Because he's saying, Moses, you think it's just like some event of what I do. You think it's just some plan I have for you. It's just maybe God worked in the past, but maybe he doesn't now. But what God says you're missing is that everything I do is rooted in who I am. And this is who I am. I bring redemption where there is death and there is decay. Imagine right now throughout our city, if you go back to verses 9 through 10, when the Israelites are crying out to God and it says that God hears their cry in verses 9 and 10. In the midst of it, God, when he hears their cries, God is moved in his mercy. He's moved in his redemptive love. 
He says, I will come and I will redeem and I will save. And here's the thing. I know it's not the people of Israel, Israel crying out in our city around us, and, but here's the thing. God is a God of mercy, and right now there are people all around us, our neighbors, in the midst of all the accoutrements and whatnot and possessions and purchasing power and all the things that they're doing, all the lifestyle choices. They're all, it all betrays the fact that deep down they are hungering for life, and their souls are crying out, God, why can't my marriage work? Why can't I find any relationships that aren't filled with strife? Why do I find every day when I wake up, it feels like there's just this chasm before me because my life just lacks any kind of meaning? God, will I finally find love that will actually stabilize my life? These cries are coming up every moment, even if they don't realize and they're not directing them to God, they're crying out in their souls in our city, all around us. And in the midst of it, God hears their cries and he says, do you see me? How do you think I will respond in the midst of it? Do you think I will reject them, that I'll just turn, my, turn the sound down, just turn the volume down and just block them out? No, in the midst of it, the reason why you are still here, the reason why my son has not come back is because my mercy is still at work and I hear their cries all around you. And he says, I, it's rooted in who I am when it says, what's the significance of how God describes himself? It's three long, it's like three different forms, right? It's almost like God's repetitive in naming himself. It's long, I am who I am, and then there's kind of this medium, just I am, and then it's short, Yahweh, which is that word Lord there in your Old Testament. And so why does God do this? One, there's this repetition. Hebrew scriptures didn't have... Uh, like punctuation or exclamation points. They didn't have like emojis, like our language, where you're like, I'm the Lord, emoji face, or I don't know what you would do for that. But, <laughs> right, <laughs> it's a good thing there is an emoji fit for that. Uh, be fire. Uh, but he re there's repetition. Three times it's said, but God does it in different forms. And here's the thing, that word yat, all the words that God uses here in the Hebrew are actually a play off of the basic foundational to-be verb in the Hebrew language. At the center of his name in all of these is the to-be form. So I am, I, or the word is. And here's why that's significant. One, the to-be verb is the basic building block of any language used to describe reality. There is not a language on earth that does not have a to-be verb. It is the way that you describe reality all around you, what is. And then second, the to-be verb is, always has an object, right? I am mighty, I'm beautiful, I am creative, I am strong. And, and here, God doesn't actually add any kind of object but himself. And that's significant, because what God is saying there is, I am that I am. Nothing outside of me can define me, and nothing outside of me can limit me. What flows from the core of who I am is who I am. You've heard the phrase, stupid is as stupid does. Well, God is, as God is, God does. God never changes. And he's telling Abraham in the same, or Moses in the same way that I have always worked and I move with mercy and I come with my holy fire in the midst of hard circumstances and hard ground. I will bring my holy presence and I will make what is hard ground holy ground. Stephen Charnock, a Puritan writer, says this in his book, The Attributes of God. Our time is but a small drop as a sand to all the atoms and small particles on which the world is made. 
but God is an unbounded sea of being. I am that I am, i.e. an infinite life. I have not that now which I had not formerly. I shall not afterwards have that which I have not now. I am that in every moment which I was and will be in all moments of time. Nothing can be added to me. Nothing can be detracted from me. There is nothing superior to him which can be detracted from him. Nothing desirable that can be added to him. And God said all that in a small little tweet, right? I am that I am. Why does this matter? Because it means that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and nothing holds God back, and God is a God of mercy. God is a holy God who will cleanse and bring, bring his righteousness. That's why fire comes and it cleanses, but at the same time as God comes, he comes to cleanse in order to redeem and to renew. And the same God who has worked throughout history to see countless souls who had hard hearts, and here's the thing, who worked in your hard heart, my hard heart, in the impossible, in the midst of it, God says, I am who I am. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and I will show up with fire. But one of the interesting things about this is God offers us this vision for our day, but notice this whole thing hinges on Moses actually turning and recognizing who God is. Back in verse 3, it says, And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And it says in verse 4, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, he called out to him. There is something here about we can imagine if Moses had seen that and said, That's nice. That's a nice theological truth. That's a nice momentary kind of moment of Christian inspiration. That's a nice church service. That's a nice interaction I had with a friend in the church. And then we go on. In other words, we can go throughout our days, and the reason why we don't have this vision of visions guiding our lives where we see the fire of God is because how often in our lives do we actually turn aside to see? How often in the morning do we turn aside and start our day by turning aside to say, God, show me, reveal yourself. God, show me where in the world all around me you are at work. You know, in the Old Testament, when they, often a lot of times these visions happen in the temple. And there's, there's a reason why the word for contemplate comes from the word with God in the temple. That's what it means, con, temple. It comes from with and temple. Because often what would happen is in the presence of God, it's, it's what contemplation is saying is that we're contemplating the presence of God in the everyday things of life. And throughout our day, what God is inviting us to do is to slow down and to recognize that now God is with us by his Holy Spirit. He brings his fire and throughout our day to contemplate his presence. When you're interacting with people, when you're going throughout your day, when you're with the kids in the park, all these things, are you willing to take a moment to turn aside and see where God might be at work? So often we go throughout our day and we just see the kind of burning bush moment and then we go on. God says, I want you to have this vision throughout your day. So what are the steps? What are things that you could do? Right now, let me just be honest. I, every day, more and more, it is so hard not to just be woken up. I get up around like five every day. That's not to brag. I just can't sleep beyond then. And so when I wake up, 
It's so easy to just turn on my phone and whatever notifications, whatever's urgent, whatever's around me, and only see that and go about my day and just see trouble, just see hard conversations, just see hard situations, just see hard truth, whatever it is, and not see a holy God who is present with me. When you go throughout your day, do you have a way of pausing before anything else to bow before God and to invite his holy presence? You're like, God, help me see where you are ready to move with your consuming fire in my life all around me. Don't help me just to see hard ground. Help me to see holy ground all around me. Well, with that, that's the vision of visions and why we need it. We need to keep our eyes on God and have that vision or else we will avoid venturing into the wilderness. Now, I want to hit on one thing why I think and this is something that personally has hit me recently, why we avoid the wilderness. What I mean by that is why do we avoid like drawing near, taking a step, venturing toward someone who is restless, someone who doesn't know God, who maybe rejects God, who's antagonistic, or just that family member, or that friend, or that classmate, venturing towards them and drawing near to them. I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this, especially as I was thinking about the sermon why do I avoid pursuing the lost? I, uh, it hit me on a new level when I, I pulled up, you know, at the inter, well, most of the major intersections have this in Columbia, but I pulled up at the intersection of Broadway and Stadium. And there was one of the, um, a homeless person who had a sign. And I, I paid attention to why is it that I want, I want to move away. And then I realized I had a similar kind of like hesitancy. When I was at Three Story Coffee and I was just reading, sitting next to someone, and they sat down next to me, and it was someone who was pretty clearly, I won't go into why, but they were, they were transitioning genders. And I, I wanted to move away versus move toward. And there was another time when there was this guy, <laughs> this guy at the gym, and he was definitely a little too into himself, right? But I was lifting next to him, and it was like, and I just wanted to move away versus move toward. And I, here's the thing. I, I, as, I, as I evaluated, kind of examined myself, I found myself excusing myself from drawing near. I, I, would, I would say things, and I, honestly, I'm ashamed to say them out loud now, but, you know, they're just obsessed with themselves. They're just out of control. They're just ignorant. They're lazy. All kinds of things kept coming into my, my mind that kind of allowed me to move away, seemed to legitimate it. It wouldn't be worth it. And then as I was pondering why I was excusing drawing in, in those ways, I, I happened to be reading something and it hit me hard. It was a quote from a, a new book that's out called The Day Is Now Far Spent. It's actually by a Catholic cardinal. And he said this. He said, without lives of profound intimacy with Jesus, we are too poor to take care of the poor. Without lives of profound intimacy with Jesus, we are too poor to take care of the poor. And he meant that both on a level of material poor and also the spiritual poor. What hit me hard in that statement is that I realized that I'm excusing myself from taking a step toward them I was missing what was really holding me back. And I wonder how often this is true for all of us. See, here's the thing. I told myself there was something in them, but really it was something that was lacking in me. Do I really re believe 
that the riches that I have in Christ are better than whatever riches they're finding in this world. Do I believe that the fire of God is better than whatever fires them up? And I realized in that moment that there's actually a poverty in me. That it's not actually, and see, here's the thing. This is why this is so important right now. Let me just get to the dynamic why I think this is important, to hit on this thing, because I know this might not be exactly what's going on in everybody's soul, so I'm sorry to project my issues to you. However, I think this is commonly shared when I realize this, is I make excuses. They're just a hard heart. They're never going to want to listen, so I'm just going to avoid it. I'm just going to abstain. I'm just going to excuse myself from withdrawing. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, I was papering over the real poverty that was in my soul, which was I was facing. I don't really believe that what I have is actually better than what they have. And I wasn't dealing with the hole that's really in my heart. I was just trying to pull away and excuse it. And I was missing that the whole time, the primarily, our problem is not the hardness out there, it's the hardness within us. That we don't have the fire of God in our own hearts. And in the day of cultural warfare, and it's so easy to just break down to these camps. It's so easy just to kind of rail and talk down about people and scoff at people and roll our eyes at people and, and, and think that it's excusing us because they would never listen. They're just so far from God. They're enemies of God and have this kind of language and this tactic and this approach when the whole time what we're actually doing is trying to avoid looking into our own hearts and seeing that we are just yearning for the fire of God. And what happens when God calls us into the wilderness, when we venture forth and we talk to people, what happens in the midst of that is God shows us and he reveals to us where we're lacking that. And he says, until you will take that step, you will not see it. You will not face it. This is why I found it so interesting that in verse, was it verse six, when Moses responds, it says, when he sees this, I am the God of your, of, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. What happened there is in that moment when God, when Moses comes into the presence of a holy God who burns with a fire to see redemption in this world, a God who is a God of redemption, when this man is going, I just want to hide in the wilderness, I just want to pull away, I don't want to go into those hard places, in the midst of it, God says, this is who I am, and Moses real, re, just realizes in that moment the hardness of his heart and the presence of a God who is a holy God, who is a redemptive God, and he realizes the sin of just not wanting to have any part in it. What holds us back is not the hardness out there. What holds us back is the hardness in here. And it's when we allow ourselves to really come before the Lord, confess what is in our hearts, the hardness of our heart, where our heart doesn't match God's heart, where we see the world in a way differently than how God sees the world and how he sees people who he's pursuing. And we're willing to fall down before him in the midst, in the face of his fire and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Then in the midst of it, that the Lord actually ignites a fire in us that actually allows us to go out into the world. So is there anything like that, a hardness of heart that's holding you back? As you, I, I would encourage you to go through that kind of contemplative approach I was as you're interacting with people, like, what's really holding me back here? And to allow God to do that work. Now, with that, and here's the thing, what I would say with that is because we can only bring renewal to the world if we're experiencing renewal ourselves first. Now, so what's the necessary step for vision? What's the necessary step for vision? Our vision, again, is to see the restless find renewal in Jesus Christ. 
And believe me, there is restlessness in our city all around us. Uh, we've, we've said this several times. I haven't updated the stat. It was pre-COVID. Um, so my guess is it's lower, but only about 12 to 14% of the city is in a church on Sunday. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, where people's hearts really are, as far as if they're far from the Lord, but what it does mean is that that stat is very low. It means that there's a lot of spiritual restlessness of searching, of trying to find. In the midst of it, God is calling us to venture out into that restlessness, to form relationships, and to lead them to Christ. And I do believe that God is going to do that work. I believe that when you look at just history, how God has worked in times like ours, which we are in a very unique time throughout history. We said it before that we're in a unique time, which is that we are not only going into more and more of a secular society, it seems, but we are in a post-Christian secular society, which is very unique which means that a lot of what we're encountering is not kind of like you go to someone and you go, hey, let me tell you about Christianity. You're like, well, that's new. I have this religion. Well, let me tell you about a new religion. What's happening is when you go to people, you go, let me tell you about Jesus. And they go, been there, done that. I'm running headlong this way. Which means it's very easy to think when, why would I venture out into the wilderness? But I think in the midst of it, God has worked again and again in unique ways throughout history, and he will do it again. The only thing I think at this point is that we, as the people of God, would put ourselves in a position where we would force ourselves to take steps into the wilderness. Because I think God is going to go before us, and I think he's going to meet us there, but I think it's a matter of us taking the steps into relationships that we often don't want to take with our time, with our schedule, with our energy. Now, how would we do that? Uh, this is where I'm going to kind of like with the sermon end it. Uh, you know, there's this, this repeated story also throughout history. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, when explorers, uh, back in the days of ships, right? So they're going to explore South America. So they sail from Spain and they land on the shores of South America. And it might be, might be battle or war or something like that, but they, they would bring their fleet, and the general would get there, or the lead explorer would get there, and they'd get to the coastline, and they'd unpack their stuff on the beach, and they'd be kind of ready to go in. And what would happen is when they get to the beach, they realize that there's this vast, uncharted wilderness in front of them. In fact, why would, and what happens is as the sailors are getting ready to go in there, what they realize after a while is why would I go in there? In fact, as they look back out at the harbor and they see the boats sitting there, the boats begin to speak to them, remind them of if you just come here, you can go home and you can be comfortable. There's security here. There's, there's, there's easiness here. There's escape here. There's something that's just a lot, not as hard and difficult as this. In other words, what they would realize is that the boats represent an escape. The boats represent comfort. The boats represent the ability not to have to venture forth into the wilderness. And so what would happen in various ways, there are, there are four or five legendary stories of this in history. In various ways, what the general or the explorer would do in the middle of the night is they would burn the boats. When the sailors would wake up the next morning, they'd look out into the harbor, and what they would say to them is, you can be mad at me, but at the end of the day, now you have no choice but to venture into the wilderness and for us to complete our task. Why do I share that? Because I think the church in America is in a point, and I think we as a church are at a point where we have to decide at some point that we are going to allow God to burn the boats that hold us back. 
So if you want a main application for today, I've given you a few, but main application is to consider what are the boats that you need to allow God to burn that are holding you back? You know, if Netflix keeps you from pursuing others and your neighbors, cancel it. If Tinder distracts you from pursuing God and healthy relationships, delete it. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If alcohol deadens your soul, pour it out. In other words, at some point, there has to be a, a moment when we say, listen, God, I'm going to trust you in. You're calling us into the wilderness. You're calling us into these things. And I'm going to take steps in my life. And I don't know what it is for you, but I'm going to take steps to allow you to just burn down the things, the boats in my life that I'm going to use to just sit in the harbor. And listen, at some point, we as a church have to decide to take action and not to just sit in the harbor, not to just sit in the village, mixing metaphors now, but to burn the boats. Um, this week, I would, I'm going to challenge you to burn one boat specifically. One boat specifically. I'm going to dare you. I know you're supposed to use like challenging languages, but I'm just going to change it up. It sounds more spiritual. You know what? I'm going to make it really super spiritual. I double dog dare you, okay? <laughs> here's, here's the boat I am daring, double dog daring you to burn this week. Burn the boat of silence. To burn the boat of silence with someone. Someone in your life, who's the one of the 1% in your life? The coworker, the classmate, the professor, the neighbor, the other mom in the park, the friend that you've had for a while and you've been skirting around the issue, whoever that person is who comes to your mind that you know, I've been avoiding having this conversation. Here's the thing, burn the boat of silence and just blurt out to them, don't, you don't have to have it all planned, just blurt out to them at some point, hey, can I talk to you about uh, faith? Faith? Uh, yeah, like, what do you believe? You want to talk about that? Yeah, uh, what do you believe about Jesus? All right. right. And I know in that moment, see, that's why you just burn the boat of silence, right? Like, you never crossed that Rubicon, and now you have, and it's out there. And now you're in the wilderness. Congratulations. You burn the boat of silence. Now you're, and I know in the midst of you're going to have this moment where you're like, ah, no turning back now, right? Stupid pastor. Should have never listened to him. But here's the <laughs> I can just hear it trickling up throughout Columbia this week, cursing my name. But here's the thing. Really, are we just going to play, stay in the harbor, stay in the village, and play church? Like, listen, I know there are a lot of difficult conversations. I know it's hard ground. I know it's hard conversations. I know things are different today, and the pressure's are different, but are we just going to become a church who just build our own little village and we just play church and we just sit around going, I want to experience the fire of God and demanding it from one another while we just kind of sit around and strike matches and play cute little church games. This is where the fire of God shows up. I mean, in the midst of it, I know so often it's like, let's be honest, like we're just bored. Like, we're just trying to find this exciting thing. And here's the thing, if you're bored, then I'm telling you, just talk to people, open up your mouth and talk to people about Jesus. Here's the thing, is it going to get weird? Yeah, probably, but is it going to be boring? Guarantee it won't, right? <laughs> Never will have a boring night again. You'll, you won't just sit around doom scrolling all night, but it sure beats just kind of passively going through life and wondering, God, when will your fire fall? Here's the thing, God's fire falls when his people follow him into the wilderness, when we come to the end of ourselves and we come to the beginning of what's possible with him, where we don't rely on ourselves and all of our cute, tidy answers and our cute, tidy 
programs and our cute, tidy ministries. Like when you go into a graveyard, you don't raise the grave by getting a cooler band or, or I just get better sermons. The way you raise the dead is that God shows up with his fire and breathes life into the dead. There is nothing boring about seeing hard ground become holy ground because that's where the fire of God is. That is where he shows up and that is worth all the awkward moments in the world. Imagine if we were a church where we all decided just to burn one or two of the boats that are in the harbor for us that are holding us back. Just in a few relationships, we decided to burn the boat of silence. And we took steps into the wilderness all around us. Imagine the stories that we will tell. Imagine the work of God that we will see in our day. Imagine the glory. Imagine the fire. 1% of the restless of Columbia would be just a drop in the bucket of what God would do. It would, it would send believers who are on fire with the Spirit of God. They would be going into all the churches. And again, one of the things with our vision is we don't want to be a church who just try to get people from other churches to come to our church because it's a cooler church and look, we have fancy whatever things. We have nothing fancy in this building. But we have, <laughs> like, here's the pitch. <laughs> cool. Uh, but here's the thing. In the midst of it, we're not trying to just get all the people on the bus to change their seat on the bus to come over to our seats on the bus, right? We are pulling over the bus and we are opening up the doors wide and we are saying, whoever will come, meet your Savior, find life in Him, find rest, find renewal, find life in Jesus. And our prayer is that we would see 10 churches in this city, see 1% over the next five to seven years. Everyone, we'll be like Oprah, like, you get believers, and you get believers, and you get believers. Like everyone, we would just see the gospel go forward. And what would happen is we all throughout this city would just see the gospel go forward. One of our markers is that we would see an air of joy on our campus, just as they did in the book of Acts, where you just have this sense of the gospel permeating and lives being changed. You can't even like explain it. You can't quantify it, but God is at work. That is the fire of God showing up in our day. And I believe it will happen if, if, Anthem, we will step, each of us individually, into the restlessness, into the wilderness around us, knowing that the fire of God will come and he will turn whatever hard ground we encounter into holy ground, because he is who he is. Just to recap, reflect, where can you turn aside throughout the day to see the vision of visions, to see God? Confess your hard heart to God and let him burn away what is not of him. And third, consider who the one of the 1% in your life is and burn the boat of silence and ask God to bring his fire. Anthem, burn the boats, step into the restless wilderness of hard hearts and hard conversation and watch the hard ground become holy ground. God has you, God has me, God has us here for this time, for this moment to help the restless find renewal in Jesus Christ. I am is sending you and goes before you. Let's venture forth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we, we, we thank you that you reveal to us yourself, and then as you reveal yourself to us, you reveal to us your heart for those all around us. You reveal your love of your glory. And Lord, we just ask that we would lay ourselves before you and we would consider these things, and Lord, we would ask where we're not seeing you clearly. 
And Lord, in the midst of it, that you would just give us a vision of yourself and then having a vision of yourself all throughout our day, that that would give us confidence in stepping into conversations, knowing that you go before us. And so, Lord, would you do this work? This is not a work that we can do, but we are dependent on you. But, Lord, we desire to see your fire in our day. We desire to see you do amazing things. We desire to see you. And, Lord, there are those in our lives that our hearts break over. And, Lord, would you begin to do a work? Go before us. Go before us and do a cleansing work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.